Fun Ideas Productions presents the Fun Ideas Podcast. We see the syphilitic shrinking obelisk. The white man's wilting dick. Of CD game show trolls, the smiling lie of the televised hive. The witches are watching with their thousand eyes. Witches are watching with their thousand eyes. We smell rotten teeth. Hi, this is Mark Arnold, and welcome to Fun Ideas Podcast number 52. This episode is sponsored by the fine folks at Lee's Comics. Headquartered, the book on the monkey's solo career should be out in February or March of 2020. If luck has it, I will be making a personal appearance at the end of March at the Beetle Fest in New Jersey. I'm still waiting for the Warren Kremer book as well. I'm also still working on my own Light Up Your Life travel agency, the TTV scrapbook, and the Mad Book. And I'm also working on an article about Harvey Mystery Comics of the 1970s, and plan to work on some new Harvey Comics stories with Eric Schenauer. This episode will continue where we left off last week, covering the history of Filmation Studios. The end of this episode will feature an interview I did with Daryl McNeil at the Geek Speak show. Unfortunately, Daryl passed away shortly before I started the Fun Ideas podcast, as he would have most assuredly done this show. He is strongly missed. The success of uh, Shazam and Isis led to other live-action uh, shows. The first one is The Secret Lives of Waldo Kitty, although part of it was animated. Uh, there were live-action sequences with a real-live cat, kitten. Um, the James Thurber uh, estate was not too fond of The Secret Lives of Waldo Kitty, which was more than loosely based on the secret live of uh, Walter Mitty. Uh, but the series ran a single year and uh, was somewhat successful. A little more successful um, was the Ghostbusters. Now, this incarnation is not the one you're thinking, the live-action film with Dan Aykroyd and uh, Bill Murray and things like that that was in the 80s. This is a version that actually had the two stars of F Troop coming back, uh, Forrest Tucker and Larry Storch and uh, they were with their ape Tracy uh, Larry Storch played Dick uh, oh excuse me Spencer what am I saying not Dick Tracy Spencer Tracy get it and not the ape who played Tracy but Forrest Tucker played Kong so figure that one out folks Anyway, uh, Ghostbusters was a live-action show, mildly successful, but really successful in the 80s uh, when they did the real Ghostbusters uh, based on uh, the... Actually, they didn't do the real Ghostbusters. Who did the real Ghostbusters was a different animation studio. I think it was DIC, based on the theatrical movie that was wildly successful with Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray. And... uh, 
Filmation got all uppity and said, wait a minute, we did a Ghostbusters back in the 70s. And there were some lawsuits and things like that. You can go back to Lou Scheimer and Andy Mangel's book about what happened with that. But uh, basically, Filmation put out their version of Ghostbusters in animated form called Filmation's Ghostbusters. So there's the real Ghostbusters and Filmation Ghostbusters. Um both running concurrently during the 1980s. Very interesting. Um, more live action shows that uh, we'll talk about here. Kind of went through the re- remainder of the 70s. Um, Uncle Croc's Block, which is my favorite filmation series, hands down, of live action. You know, Star Trek's my favorite animated one, but I loved uh Uncle Croc's block because it had two very flamboyant uh, personalities from the 1970s. One was Charles Nelson Riley, and the other was Jonathan Harris. And unfortunately, it was such a flop, it was cut from 60 minutes down to 30 minutes, and apparently was the last show ever to appear on ABC Saturday morning. They were so soured by filmation with this flop that... <laughs> They said, take your Uncle Croc's block. And, mm. uh, Uncle Croc's block actually had three animated segments, which have been since uh, released separately uh, at various times. But the Uncle Croc's block itself has never been on home video. I wish it was. It was so funny. Um, but the segments were Frady Cat, Wacky and Packy, and then a parody of M.A.S.H. called Mush. And there were other live-action shows that uh, filled out the remainder of the 70s. We'll uh, briefly discuss them and then uh, play their theme songs. Arc 2, Space Academy, and uh, Jason of Star Command. And all of these uh, basically were uh, loose science fiction based TV series of varying degrees. People fondly remember them. I didn't really watch them that much because I was so much into animation. I didn't like too much live action stuff unless it was funny. But, you know, I appreciated what was on and I probably saw them a couple times, but they do have their fans. And uh, let's listen to them now. Spirits and demons, beware of the ghostbusters. 
Welcome to Uncle Brock's block, the greatest show there is. My name's not Brock. Naughty people, man, we got them. Wait till you meet old Bottle Bottom. Cut, it's Basil Bitter Bottom. You can't tank or a crocodile. I'll clock it to you. I'll baffle your beanie with Captain Marvel's and Junie the Genie, the 695 man too. And Bogey Bear, that old Rockaroo. When the nuts from Mush drop by, everything's bow-wowie. Miss Invis disappears, and Billy Bratson yells to Cowie. Brady Cat is scared to death. He's lived eight lives and only one left. But wacky and wacky don't mind.
Johnson of Star Command. up the rest of the 70s let's kind of uh, wrap this all up with what was happening then um, because Hanna-Barbera was having so much success with their Super Friends series and its various incarnations uh, Filmation started scouting around trying to see if they could get other properties and for the remainder of the 70s and into the 1980s uh, they did just that and uh, the first one was Tarzan Lord of the Jungle is based on Tarzan now both DC and Marvel and Gold Key all published Tarzan at one point or another I think even Dell published it and uh, that finally uh, begat a new Batman series and uh, DC uh, allowed Filmation to do the new adventures of Batman. At the same time, uh, Hanna-Barbera was doing Super Friends. And the only way they got away with it is that on the new adventures of Batman, they actually secured Adam West and Burt Ward, who did the live-action Batman series in the 1960s, as voices. They also included Batmite, which was actually voiced by Lou Scheimer himself. So... Um, if you wanted your Batman uh, by Adam West, you listen to it here. If you wanted it by, uh, I think, Olin Sewell and uh, by um, Casey Kasem, Batman and Robin, then you watched him on Super Friends. Anyway, I ended up watching uh, both versions. It was no big deal. Uh, success of both of those series made them join together as the Batman Tarzan Adventure Hour. Uh, there was also another series called Space Sentinels that came out around that time. Uh, so they were trying to get all sorts of superheroes. Uh, Tarzan uh, then became a 90-minute show, and it showed the Tarzan and Batman segments, plus the Freedom Force, Manta and Moray, Super Stretch and Micro Woman, which was... Um, basically a plastic man type character and one that got him in trouble which was web woman which was what prompted marvel comics to create spider woman and uh the aforementioned jason of star command started on tarzan as super and the super seven as a live action segment and then became its own series um then uh they did uh the new adventures of flash gordon and uh, that will take us into the 1980s, so I'll take a little break here and come back uh, with uh, the last shows that uh, Filmation was doing before they closed shop. The Jungle. Here I was born. And here my parents died when I was but an infant. I would have soon perished too had I not been found by a kindly she-ape named Kala who adopted me as her own and taught me the ways of the wild. I learned quickly and grew stronger each day. And now I share the friendship and trust of all jungle animals. 
jungle is filled with beauty and danger and lost cities filled with good and evil. This is my domain and I protect those who come here for I am Tarzan, Lord of the Jungle. Now it's 
crime-fighting team that makes the impossible Masked Rider of the Plains, 
pretend to be afraid. But with a mask as my disguise, I ride into the night and raise my sword in the name of justice. So they were having success over at uh, Filmation with uh, these shows like Tarzan and the Super 7, which had, you know, seven different segments going on all at once. Uh, eventually that became Batman and the Super 7, and with different segments, which I'll tell you in the moment. But uh, it also begat uh, Fabulous Funnies, which had different segments similar to Archie's TV Funnies from a few years earlier, where they had... Uh, Animated segments of Ali Oop, Nancy, Broomhilda, Emmy Lou, The Captain and the Kids, and Tumbleweeds. Quick statement about Tumbleweeds they didn't get permission from uh, the, Tom Ryan, the uh, <laughs> artist and writer of Tumbleweeds, and so only one segment appeared before it was pulled off uh, because they didn't get permission from them to do an animated version of Tumbleweeds. Kind of interesting. Um, at this point, uh, Filmation got the rights to The New Adventures of Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll uh, with a third segment called Quackula. All those, um, Mighty Mouse and Heckle and Jekyll, were originally Terry Tunes, and Terry Tunes is long gone, so they made some new segments. Quackula was a brand new segment for Filmation, but they got in trouble uh, from all people, uh, Scott Shaw, for ripping off one of his characters, and there was a lawsuit there. Uh, again, go to Lusheimer's book for more details about that. Now, Batman and the Super 7, uh, they kind of changed it up. Uh, strangely enough, there's only five segments on Batman and the Super 7. Uh, New Adventures of Batman, Webwoman, Manta and Moray, Freedom of Force, and Super Stretch and Micro Woman. Where did Tarzan go? Well, Tarzan went to head up the Tarzan Lone Ranger Adventure Hour, and they did new animated adventures of the Lone Ranger. Format Films had done Lone Ranger animated shows back in the 1960s, but this is a new series. Going back to the more fun and games, they did a Tom and Jerry comedy hour, and uh, strangely enough, Hanna-Barbera did a Tom and Jerry comedy hour in the mid-70s, but it wasn't like the old Tom and Jerry's where they're fighting each other. Uh, Tom and Jerry were friends. Uh, Filmation somehow got the rights to doing new Tom and Jerry, probably because Santa Barbera didn't have the rights to those characters. And these are kind of more in the spirit of the original MGM ones, but I'd say don't bother with these. Just watch the original MGM cartoons. And a few more series. Now we're into the 1980s. There's a European comic uh, called Sport Billy, and they created a short-lived series of uh, these cartoons. Nothing too much to be said about it. I mentioned before uh, Gilligan's Planet, um, but there's a couple other series uh, that I want to mention. Black Star, which is about a... a, um, uh, 
science fiction sheriff guy, I believe. Let me look at that. <laughs> and uh, another superpower hour called the Kids Superpower Hour with Shazam. This time Shazam was animated, unlike the previous version, which was live action. And there's a second segment called Hero High, which actually was supposed to be an animated version of Archie as superheroes. But Archie, uh, for some reason, it didn't come off. I don't know all the details. It's probably in Lusheimer and Andy Mangle's book. Uh, so read about that. But it became Hero High. But if you look, if you don't blink too much, it's Archie. <laughs> and uh, Tarzan continued with the Tarzan Lone Ranger Zorro Adventure Hour. And this is significant. The Zorro segment was the first time that Filmation outsourced any animation. Prior to this, everything was done in the United States of America. Uh, a lot of people, including Lou Scheimer, um, see this as like the beginning of the end. But uh, it was and wasn't. As you'll see uh, after this next segment, um, that uh, Filmation had a few more punches to pull. And we'll be right back after these. If you live in the Bay Area, visit Lee's Comics during the month of December 2019 and enjoy a huge ongoing sale featuring quarter books refreshed throughout the day. All back issues and sets half price. Half price golden and silver age high value collector's wall comics. New items daily. Marvel Pure Hero shirts starting at just $5. Spider-Man, Punisher, Captain America, and more. Graphic novel sale. Buy two Funko Pop and get one free. And much, much more. Lee's Comics Mountain View is open daily from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. and 10 till 9 on Saturday. Tell them that the Fun Ideas Podcast sent you and receive a free gift. And now, back to the Fun Ideas Podcast. Hold on to your seats, kids. Here we go. The fabulous money. Like a brand new day, we're here again, spreading sunshine to everyone. We've rounded up all our friends for you. I'm Elliot with a joke or two. Fabulous money. Abracadabra. Alakazam. Broom Hilda can make you smile. I know I can. Hi, I'm Nancy. And hi, I'm Sluggo. And there's, there's lots of fun wherever we go. go. Fabulous money. And funny adventures are on their way. Sir Hansen Fritz and we're here to say that we're all going to learn a lot of important lessons today on how to work and how to play. So sit right back and put on your smiles. It's a beautiful day. Come on and stay a while. Let's have a good time. What do you say? But I never have enough. 
Pittsburgh for station WIZZ-TV. He has been picked by the aged wizard Shazam to carry on the wizard's lifelong crusade against crime and the forces of evil. When Billy speaks the wizard's name, Shazam! mentioned Gilligan's Planet before. Uh, we're not going to play it again because I already played it, but I will say that uh, this was the last uh, animated series done for Saturday mornings. It was on CBS. And after this, uh, an amazing thing happened uh, that uh, kept uh, Filmation in business for the rest of the 80s. And uh, they, instead of doing Saturday morning deals, they did uh, weekday afternoon syndication deals and made high amounts of cartoons instead of the standard 13 episodes. Uh, they made 65 and even more episodes for syndication. And these were highly successful. I mentioned before um, The Adventures of Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, which incorporated the older episodes and a bunch of new ones to bring the total up to 50 episodes on this. But the big, big, and I mentioned Ghostbusters, which was a syndicated version. Uh, they did 65 episodes of that. Uh, the 
big one was He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which they ended up doing 130 episodes. And its spin-off series, which was She-Ra, Princess of Power, they did 93 episodes of that. All these were really successful during the mid to late 80s. And then the last syndicated series, which was the last animated series produced by Filmation, was of a black cowboy called Brave Star. But there were 65 episodes made of that. And all of these were highly successful.
There's a couple live action series made. Uh, one was the Gamesman for ESPN and the International Outdoorsman for the Discovery Channel. There's some theatrical films which we won't go into, and there's some specials which we won't go into. But um, by the end of the 80s, uh, filmation was done. Uh, the cosmetic company L'Oreal had actually purchased um, filmation and for some crazy reason just thought. We have enough animation shows to last us forever. And they laid everyone off. Um, animation, uh, an animation friend that I know named Mike Cazala was there. He was working at Filmation at the time. I believe Daryl McNeil was there. Uh, if he wasn't there, he was aware of it. And uh, it was a sad end to Filmation. But let's not leave it there. Um, after we come back, I will... Uh, play the interview that I did with Daryl McNeil. The stories behind the stories with Mark Arnold exclusively on the Geekspeed Show. And this is historian Mark Arnold with another installment of the stories behind the stories. And today we're interviewing Daryl McNeil. And uh, Daryl McNeil is known as an animator. And he's worked on various animated TV shows, including Super Friends, Pac-Man, Jim, Mighty Mouse, Ghostbusters, James Bond Jr., and the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, among others. And he's also written the book Alex Toth by Design and Animation by Filmation. Uh, thank you for uh, doing the show today, and uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into animation. Okay, well, thank you very much for inviting me. Um, basically, what it was when I was a kid, I grew up as a kid, and I watched a lot of the television, like most people do, and I wanted to get into comic books when I was a kid. My dad used to say that when I was two years old, I would go through the daily paper and tear up everything and eat everything but the funny section, and so he never got the sports scores, he never knew whether the Lakers won or not, like I really cared, being two years old. Um, as I grew up, though, I wanted to get into comic books. I really, really did. I, my grandmother had gotten me, I still have it, I'm sitting in my bedroom looking at the very first comic book I ever got, which was a Superman that she, that she gave me with Lois Lane on the cover. The, it was an imaginary story, what if Krypton, um, ex, what if Earth exploded into the Krypton and Lois Lane got sent there became Supermaid. <laughs> and so, considering my love of superhero was just kind of a subliminal thing of being a Superman book. But what happened was that I wanted to get into comic books, comic books, comic books. I became a child actor, um, became a background extra. I saw an ad that was in the, um, in the paper that said, you know, you can be on TV. I want to be on TV with this face and this nose and pizza, everything else, pizza face. I had acne back then. I got on television. My first job was doing a show called Cowboy in Africa. I was a, I tried out for the lead and lead boy anyway and didn't get it. And the guy, Gerald Edwards, who did get it, I became his stunt boy. Wow. 
it's ironic because we ended up working together on Fat Albert like 20 years later. But that's you know, <laughs> the head of the story. He was weird. He, he was he was the voice of weird hair. I was with the animators on it, but that's a skipping ahead way far. Okay. <laughs> so what happened? And, and it's funny because I met a girl around that time who tried out a couple years later for the role of Marsh on the Brady Bunch. I didn't get Kelby in Africa role because I was two inches too tall for it. She didn't get Marsh because she was two inches too short for it. If you can understand, but anyway, so what happened to get it? I, I'm getting to. I get to the point. Have a conversation with me is like going from L.A. to Santa Monica via Cedar Rapids. You get there eventually. But what happened was that I um I got I fell in love with. Well, what happened? That was when in '66 when Fred Silverman decided to go ahead and put, you know, come up with a new Saturday morning schedule of cartoons and whatnot. And he put Superman and he put you know Frankenstein Journey Impossible, Hanna Barbera, one of my all-time favorite shows. Another one was Space Ghost and Dino Boy. When I saw Space Ghost, I said, I want to do that for a living. I want Batman to fly through the air, shoot neat blasts out of his, you know, out of his hands, and have a deep, resonant voice like Gary Owens. And that's what I wanted to do. But more so, I want to do Space Ghost growing up. I want to do it with Gary Owens. I want to do it with Alex Toth. And I got to do all three. Wow. <laughs> so essentially what happened was that I, I started drawing, learning how to draw, doing my own drawing, doing my own comic books, things like that. And then when I got out of high school, Western High School in 75, I was told by my mom either go to school or get a job. Being I'm lazy, I decided to go ahead and go to school. So I went to one class at Cal State Long Beach and one class at UCLA. I, actually, two classes at Cal State because I flunked both of them. But I also flunked one at UCLA too. But the Cal State class was notable because I, I, taught, I went to an animation class that was taught by a man named Art Scott, who was one of Hanna-Barbera's director, producers, you know, sort of our guys big, he had honchos then. And we would, he would know the fact that he would come to Hanna-Barbera, he would come to Kelsey Long Beach after working at Hanna-Barbera. And basically, he would bring down films of the old shows that had been on TV for years. And I learned to run a project just like I actually run the things for him. And it got to the point where we'd ask people in the class, well, who saw Huck Finn? My name would go up. Well, who saw this cartoon? My name would go up. Who saw, we know you saw it. <laughs> And between him, he introduced me to um, Hanna-Barbera people, plus knowing him. And then I went to a class at UCLA on Saturday morning television that was taught by a woman named Bonnie Dore. And it was through that class I met Bill Hanna and Joe Barbera. And I took, I was creating my own characters even back then, making my own shows, superheroes and cartoons, you know, Clue Club, you know, mystery, Scooby-Doo type of stuff. And I took my, I took my drawings to show Bill and Joe. And Bill was starting to run a training class to bring new animators in the business. This was like 76. And Joe saw my stuff and said, why don't you bring them into our director of development? I think you could sell something to them. So I went into the director of development, Dwayne Poole and Dick Robbins. And I, if there had been a record for that, I would have been the youngest guy to sell show concepts, the biggest deal on the planet at the time. Because I went in there with seven show ideas, and I sold them three. Wow. They optioned three shows from me. Which ones and, were they? Which ones were um, Well, the concepts were because, of course, they're mine now. Um, one of them was a group of superheroines called the Barefoot Contessas. Mm. And one of the characters in particular, Bill latched on her me. He saw a picture of a girl I had named Quick Change Chick who, who had a, a button on her chest, not a chest, on her, on her belly button, that could give her a hundred different costumes had different power to it. And he said, I like that push-button chick. That one really grabbed him. So another concept called Time Team to them. Another one called Cybernex, kind of playing off the whole bionic craze that was going on after Dynamite had come out that year. And it was about a month before I turned, before um, I turned 18. Wow. <laughs> and then Joe 
um, this thing, Joe Barbera, he sent me over to talk to a guy. I don't know if you can do this type of language on this thing, but I don't care. A guy named Harry Love, who was running the training program. Harry Love was a rat. There's another word after rat, but I think I'm like PG, so I'm not going to use that word. Okay. Darn it. <laughs> and uh, can you say bastard on this thing? If not, edit it out. Um, anyway, he was, he was that. Okay. <laughs> and I had called him a month before because I heard about the program. And so I like to come over. This is in October of that year, October 76. And I like to be training in your program. Well, we don't have any people coming in until next April. Clap. On the phone. So I call again. And he says, don't you remember? I told you to call the next Um, Joe Barbera says, come in, come in, come in, come in. <laughs> what a, what a weasel. Anyway, so I went in there, and because of that, I got into class there. And then they just started working on the all-new Super Friends. It wasn't even an hour show then. The show got picked up for a brand-new season after, partly because of the fact that Filmation was doing the new Adventures of Batman at that time, too. So it was like, uh-oh, we better get on the case here. So... They picked it up and I started working for Hanna-Barbera uh, about two weeks before I turned 18. And I would have been one of the youngest guys that worked in the business at that time. So that's kind of how I got into kind of the long, loopy way of how I got... Oh, before that, one thing is a quickie, a quickie too. I ended up working for Filmation a year later. But in 1970, I was one of a group of kids that was in the audience that they shot for the live action audience for the show Archie's Funhouse. I was going to ask you about that because <laughs> I've heard that before and I thought, is that how, wh- how you got in or is that totally independent? I was independent, pretty much. I was, but it was part of the thing when I was a screen actor, when I was a screen extra kid. A screen children's guild was what actually was called. It was actually a guild that put kids in shows and whatnot. And what it was was he got a, got a deal that the person that was supposed to go couldn't go. So they asked my mom, well, can you come up to San Diego? I said, well, my mom said, of course. So she drove up, it was, a, it was a movie theater in San Diego. And it was me It was me and a bunch of kids, Lou's kids, Erica and Lane were there, Hal Sutherland's director of filmation, his kids were there. And a lot of other kids from, you know, they pretty much were kept called for casting. We pretty much sat there for about three days, sat in the seats, you know, yay, Archie, and all that sort of stuff. And looked at the blue screen and just yelled at it. <laughs> but it's kind of funny is, Archie's Funhouse was actually... I think the second live-action animated show that was ever done for television. It was a Saturday morning show. Huck Finn came before that a couple of years before, but not many people did a show like that since. Mm-hmm. It's like and it was a case where I never knew where Luke got there to make a making a live audience for RC stuff. But I mean, there's a fact that I don't know if you know, you probably know there's a book that just came out that um, we'll talk about I guess down the line called. Lou Scheimer creating the filmation generation. Yes. That I was a major part of as far as editing, putting a lot of stuff in there. And there's a photo in there of me looking at hot dog dancing by. <laughs> now, I put in there a photo of me looking up Archie's legs, but some of they felt that that was not appropriate, I guess, so what the heck. <laughs> of course, we knew, we, knew, we knew he had nothing there. Captain Marvel, he had nothing there either, so there you go. <laughs> I mean, you knew you know the story back in the old days, back in the, in the, in the Fawcett days. They actually had a running gag with Captain Marvel where they would actually sing a song, No balls, no balls, no balls at all. Captain Marvel has no balls at all. <laughs> I did not know that, actually. That's and ours did, none of ours character did either. This is starting when cartoons we're talking about. There you go. <laughs> so, um, I'll, I'll move on to your to your books. And the only reason I'm asking about the books is because uh, there are two uh, excellent books, one on Filmation, one on Alex Toth. I've been pronouncing that incorrectly um yeah and if alex was alive he'd kill you <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll give you i'll give you a fast story um, yeah. this is no lie paul dini is an old friend of mine wonderful guy 
had known him years and years. He wanted Alex to do some stuff on the Batman series at one time. Unfortunately, the mistake he made was he referred to him as Alex Tooth. Yeah, Alex wanted to bite something on him. I mean, he's a real great guy, but he definitely had to think it's Toth. It's Toth. It is not Toth. It is not Tooth. It is Toth. Get it straight. <laughs> I will remember it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it will not come back after me as a zombie. And, uh, well, not a zombie. Maybe it's a ghost, but not a zombie. No, no, um, no, no zombies here. I can't deal with them. Okay. But anyway, your two books, uh, they're very highly revered, highly sought after, and also out of print. Uh, uh, yes, they are. Either of them coming back? Well, animation by filmation, most likely not, because I don't know how graphic you can get with this, but I, of course I will. I did it with a guy who was a rat bastard. He was a guy I worked with named Michael Swanigan. I call him Swinegan. <laughs> He did a magazine called Toon Magazine, which I wrote pretty much every word of. Uh, he, and Mr. Information, I wrote every word of, except for the part on Jerry Lewis. To get an example of which, I showed this to a friend of mine, Andy Mangos, who I worked on with the, um, with the Lou Schreiber book. The original entry from the Archie, he cribbed from some other book. And it was like, ran like maybe a six paragraphs. The Archie entry I wrote ran about five pages. But all kinds of detailed stuff and everything that you can even figure out. I'll give you a better example of how this guy worked. Which goes to the writing we're talking about here. Toon Magazine, I think it was the Bill, Bill Hanna had done a book. And he wrote, and I wrote a review on it. Okay? And the thing is, I left Magazine by this time when Joe Barbera came. I think it's, one of them came their book first. I don't have it in my head right which came first. But Joe's book came out. Let's say for the sake of time, Joe's book came out. Right. In fact, I know it was Joe's book because of what happens next. Yeah. <laughs> he took the review I wrote of Bill Hanna's book, took all the names of Bill Hanna out, and replaced them with Joe Barbera's name. <laughs> wow. Now, here, but here's the best part of that. This is why I remember this now. Because the very last line of the... No, 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 this is Bill... No, this is Bill... I'm switching around. It's Bill Hanna's thing. He took all the Joe Barbera lines out and put Bill Hanna's name because the very last line I wrote was I'd love to hear Bill Hanna's side of the story, wouldn't you? Mm. So if by taking out Joe's name and putting in Bill's name, the entire interview would come, a review of Bill Hanna's book with the last line being, I want to hear Bill Hanna's side of the story. Wow. <laughs> that's how, that's what kind of a mind he had. And it was, it, ironically though, it was partly because of him being such a sleazebag mm. that I got Alex to agree to do Toast by Design, which is a, kind of the, the, the funnier part of the thing. I tried for Alex, I tried for a number of years to get him to do a book with me on animation because I had all his model sheets, copies of them and everything. And I got them despite the best efforts of Jane Barbera, otherwise known as the daughter of Joe Barbera, otherwise known as Jane that came out of brain, who did not like me Xeroxing Hanna-Barbera stuff the year I was working there. I came out of there with seven boxes of stuff. Wow. <laughs> because I was, I was an in-betweener there at the time. I got into animation later and I got into layout later. But that year, first season, um, when we were doing Dynamud and Captain Caveman and Laugh Olympics and Scooby-Doo, I was assistant. I got to do some model design on the side, some layout on the side. But as each department got let go before me, they gave me their stuff. Because I, I collected the stuff. Yeah. So I ended up having seven boxes of stuff. She had to make sure the security watched me leave. And if it hadn't been from the thing, she didn't want me copying the stuff. But Toast by Design would not have existed without me copying that stuff because I had copies that not many people had. Right. So with Alex, it's a case where it took a few years to kind of get his confidence. I had started, I mean, I, I worked with him at Hanna-Barbera on Super Friends and Challenge of the Super Friends. Um, it was going through a Frida 
was a big tote geek and I could work really fast. I was working in filmation staff at the time. And I'd go over to Studio City to pick up the layouts. And essentially, I laid out all the Super Friends acts that Alex boarded. So we had a kind of relationship going there. But Alex can be a very prickly type of fella. We kind of lost touch at that point. And then I worked with a good friend of mine, Steve Rude, on consulting on the Space Ghost graphic novel he did for Comico in 86. I sent Alex a copy of it, and I called Alex to see what he think of it, what he thought of it. Alex picks the phone and goes, won't be nice if he wasn't ripping me goddamn off. Click. <laughs> it took five years, but I finally got back in touch with the guy, and we became a head of a relationship where for the next 15 years, he was probably the close, he was, he was my best friend. I was his best friend. I was the guy who kind of kept him in touch with the world and comic books, and we talked about more than just, um, Gee, here's a Noel Sickles grade. Uh, how about that Space Ghost? Uh, he, how about working like you know with, with Milton Kniff? It's like I talked about everything with him, mm-hmm. and he it's like and he knew that I knew just about everything he'd ever want to know. He would go on the first hand. He'd go, "You keep a lot of stuff in that brain of yours, don't you? All of the useless <laughs> crap, don't you?" And then two minutes and then two minutes later, he'd go like, "What do you know about this person here?" I said, "Oh, you mean stuff inside my brain of useless crap?" <laughs> He'd go, touche, so we'd go on back and forth. But what happened was that because I left Toon Magazine, I made a further proposal to him, and he was impressed, and we started going back and forth and talking. And eventually we decided to go ahead, and he said, let's do this. And the thing that happened that was really cool was that in 1996, I'll tell you you part what made this thing happen, too. If you read the book, haven't you? Um, I have seen it. I actually don't own a copy. I have a friend of mine. Okay. So I okay, flipped well, through and looked and poured over the pictures, so that's what well, I... There's, well, there's a, chapter, there's a chapter in there on the art of the storyboard. And what happened was that I, I managed to talk Alex into doing an article on storyboards because it was very good stuff. Swine decided he could edit this thing. Now, Swine couldn't edit water out of a faucet. <laughs> He had that much intelligence going with him. So I wasn't going to edit Alex Toth. You, you know, are you kidding me? And so I kept it. And that's what the whole book got built around, that whole particular piece there. He went back and forth. He, 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 I sent him questions. He wrote you know, a lot of dissertation. I had a lot of my stuff to it, combined it with the models, combined it with presentation copies I had and things. And the whole book came in shape in 1996. Now, I didn't know he was doing another book with a guy named Manuel Awad called Alex Toth, which is about his comic book stuff. But fortunately, both books kind of crossed a certain point and then didn't have to go any further. So I did the book. It came out. It got nominated for an Eisner Award, which I'm very proud of. Although I told Alex the other books in the category, including a book done by Will Eisner, he said, the fix us in, kid. <laughs> and sure enough, that, that year, Will Eisner won his own award. Who would have thought? <laughs> wow. But here's, but here's the thing about the book. Because you're kind of wondering, I guess, what's going on with it. I, when I first put the book out, that was when nobody really knew who Alex Toast was as far as fans knowing he did stuff. And I had 5,000 copies printed. I put out four. I just got to do a little story about this kind of little tote behind the thing. San Diego Comic-Con, Bud Plant. Um, the books are just coming off the printer over here. And, um, it was a printer in Glendale. And I took 75 copies down to the con on Thursday. Well, they sold out of blood plants by the end of the day. Like, can you get some more? I decided to go back. So I went back here to L.A. where I live and got another 200 copies, got them out there Saturday. They were gone by the convention. Mm-hmm. And 
book did very well to the envy of many people, including one Mr. Swine. So, um, <laughs> but there are a thousand copies I still have. They are in a secret underground location being guarded by my close friend Dick Cheney. And um, basically, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a conservative Republican. I let that be known to a lot of people, especially with drug years in the office right now, but that's just me. So, um, so it, it, it's, it's going to be there for a reason. I'm, I'm keeping it held there. And when I eventually get the time to put everything together with it, I'm going to restrip the books and bring it back out as a hardcover with a lot of material that people have never seen before. And it even goes with people who are doing the other tote book at the other place. Um, it will have stuff that will be brand new stuff that Alex and I took. Because we spent, during the time that he was at home and until the time he passed, we talked. Do you, one thing you liked about him, we talked about news. So we didn't just talk about the old stuff all the time. We worked up a lot of characters together. I would come up with a character and he'd come and give me his ideas about it. So he liked the fact that he still felt like he was doing something. And people asked him for his opinion. But the thing about the work between me and him is the fact that I did. everybody wanted him to draw something. You draw this story here, your story here. He didn't want to do that. So me, it's like, here's an idea, Alex. What you think about it? I kind of like this. Let's, you can do this. Let's do this. Let's go back and forth. Let's do this. In fact, one show I'm working on right now was the last thing we talked about before Alex died. Because I was the last person to see him. I saw him the Thursday of the week he died. He passed the next day. And one of the shows I'm working on right now is one that we talked about. So um, it's going to be a cool thing when the stuff I'm, I'm pushing it, I'm developing it for various things we can talk about later on. Okay. But, um, well, so. well, I wanted to uh, thank you. I know we, we're running out of time here. Uh, but oh, we are? Darn yeah, it. Yeah, it goes yeah, fast. Yeah, I knew, I knew this wouldn't be a problem as far as time is yeah. with me. But, uh, Alex, Alex, is, Alex is always say, you know, ask me what time, I'll tell you how the watch is built. So. Okay. Um, I would, wanted to know if there's a way people can contact you or if you have a website to plug. Well, I um, I kind of keep to myself right now. I kind of want to keep stuff on the down low until I actually get things going with it. Okay. I will tell you that right now I'm working on a number of web series right now, actually a number of mobile series. I'm planning on launching a mobile phone channel in late spring, and I'm doing a number of projects for it. One of them is a web live action, kind of a homage to the movie serials I'm crazy about called The Adventures of Caitlin Kitty Cat K, a.k.a. KKK, and I run that joke a lot throughout the whole 12 chapters there. Um, a, a very sweet girl I know is the star of it. I got a bunch of people to act in it too. Her best friend is in it, and um, Gary Owens is the narrator of it, the voice of the Space Ghost, dear old friend of mine. Uh, Lou Scheimer did a voice part for me for it, and the way it's looking, I'm going to probably debut the entire series just after San Diego. I'm going to do a free preview. And I'll put more details on about that as time goes on. I do have a Facebook page for Adventures of Kate and Kitty Cat Kate. There's more information comes down on that show. Information be available there. I'm also putting together a couple other series of live, was it live action ones animated. Gary's doing the voice of the lead character, which is a character I have talked about. I was told about a guy named Mr. Clift. And that's all I pretty much say about that concept. So he's doing the voice of that for me. It's going to be an animated concept, a live action concept, and a bunch of pretty much just dumb... Some of them doing directly for mobile phones and for iTab, uh, iTablets, you know, iPads, things like that. I'm, I'm, I'm a lot of when it comes to technology, like working with people know what they're doing. So, and that's where that's always going. So, it'll start coming out um, this coming spring. It's going to be a subscription-based project. In fact, I'm ripping off an old thing from an old fan movie a long time ago, which is, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll kiss three bucks goodbye. 
and that's how that's going to be going with that. So I'm working on those projects right now. I also write various things. I still draw. I um, but this is where most of my time is creating all this new material, which I get to own, which I get to control. Like I, in fact, I I, I worked. My friend Steve Rudy has had a book come out, Dollar Bill from um from DC, and there is a character in there that I said, who's this character? And he goes, I just popped him in there. I said, well, it's mine now. So we're going to do a new character based on that. Because I used to know Jack Kirby. I worked on Space Ghost and um, Hercules Space Stars with him. And he called me Blackjack. Not because I drew like him, because I fought like him. He said, you, said you are an idea machine. In fact, I got to say this real fast. We, he was working with Ruby Spears and Hanna-Barbera too. And he brought a presentation piece in for a show that we were, he was working up. I brought some drawings for who I was working up. They're both the same idea. <laughs> it's like, how does this happen? But I just, I'm an idea machine. I cannot stop. I want to go stop before I think of something else again. Well, that's great. Um, anyway, um, I, we've run out of time, so but I want to thank you for joining us today, Daryl. Well, thank you so much for the privilege. I really, I really get a kick out of this. I knew this wouldn't be short because <laughs> this is just how I am. Yes. Anytime you want to do a day of programming to me, trust me, I'll give you a day's worth of stuff. Sounds great. Well, okay. I thank you very much. And You're welcome. If you want to comment uh, on the show, uh, you can always email me at mark at thegeekspeakshow.com. You can hear the complete story behind the stories by going to funideas.50webs.com. That's 50webs.com. Funideas.50webs.com. The stories behind the stories exclusively on the Geek Speak Show. I want to thank you for listening to my brief but clunky history of Filmation Studios. Um, like I said, I probably will never write a book about Filmation because there's two great ones out there. Animation by Filmation by Michael Swanigan and Daryl McNeil. And Lou Scheimer creating the Filmation Generation by Lou Scheimer with Andy Mangles. Thank you for listening and thank you Daryl McNeil for being my special guest. Episode number 53 will be coming soon. If you would like to comment and or be a guest on this podcast, please drop me a line at funideas.mark at gmail.com. Become a patron of Mark Arnold and Fun Ideas Productions. If everyone listening just contributed a dollar a month, that would be a tremendous help in continuing the production of my books and this podcast. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. The opening and closing music for the Fun Ideas podcast is provided courtesy of Andrew the Slow Poisoner Goldfarb and is used with permission. This has been the Fun Ideas Podcast. This is Mark Arnold speaking. This episode is copyright 2019 Fun Ideas Productions. Thank you very much and have a good night. of your loot.